Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I wish I be, could be coming to you guys with better news, but unfortunately Toronto loses both games in their back-to-backs against Golden State and Portland. Obviously, these are respectable teams to lose against, and at least you can say Toronto was playing competitive ball against a Warriors team who I guess we all thought and expected, even with Clay being injured, that they would be at least in contention for a playoff spot. And Portland had a lot of hype coming into the season. I think they've underperformed at 6-4, and four, and their defense isn't that great, but inevitably they've got enough talent up front and the ability to close out games, as we saw tonight, that they're a competitive team in the West as well. But for Toronto, we saw a lot of good things in the last two days. Obviously, we saw two losses, inevitably, which now drops us to 2-8, and eight, which is tough to come back from in a 72-game truncated season. But when you look at the Eastern Conference, the standings are really weird right now. And I'm actually going to pull up the standings right now and read you off the teams that are atop the East because the standings really give you hope as a Raptors fan that they could at least pull into that 8-seed, 9-seed, 10-seed area, and probably even higher, considering they've still got 62 games left in the season. It's still really, really early, and a small sample size. But Toronto's now fallen to 2-8, and eight, which puts them 5 games back of the 1-seed, 7-3 and three Boston Celtics. 5 games back from the 1-seed, 3 games back from a playoff spot. Only three games back. So inevitably, they could win three games. A team like Atlanta or Miami or Charlotte could lose three games. And then Toronto's right back in the mix. And they've got two games back-to-back against Charlotte upcoming this week. Thursday and Saturday, I believe. And so they should be able to take care of business, ideally, in these two games. Which would put them at 4-8 and eight and then... They're right back in the mix there. But it does really suck that they ended up losing both of these games. And in completely different ways. Let's start with the Warriors game. Toronto was down big in the third quarter. Down 17 points at one point in the game. And all of a sudden at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Lowry specifically. And the Raptors stormed back. After being down 17 like I said. And went on a 33-19 run in the fourth quarter. Led by Kyle Lowry. And they had, I think it was a 105-104 lead. With seconds left in the game. Lowry was not very aggressive in the game up to this point. Specifically talking about the transition into the fourth quarter. He had almost no points. And Fred Van Vliet reportedly told him to wake his ass up. And he would go on to score what felt like all 17 of his points in that fourth quarter, really fueling Toronto's comeback. And like I said, they're up 105-104 with seven seconds left. And then who else but Damien LaFlop came through with an embellished shot, tough play, a non-basketball play. Lowry did foul him before the shot, so they did get the right call, but 
at the end of a game like that, you shouldn't really call that kind of stuff. That's not the way it's ever really worked. I know Raptor fans and NBA fans in general hate when a game is ended on free throws. Even if I don't like a team, like let's say Milwaukee versus Miami, I really hated that call, the foul that they had against Jimmy Butler, whoever it was, Giannis, got the foul on Jimmy Butler, whoever, maybe Middleton. Um, but whoever fouled Jimmy Butler at the end of that game, when it was double zeros and a tie game and he got two free throws to win the game, in the playoffs, that kind of stuff's ridiculous to me. I hate those moments in sports where the referees decide the game, essentially. And obviously there was a worse call right before that on the Middleton three. That was even worse. But at the end of the day, you can't really throw a makeup call. You make the wrong call, you just got to be unbiased the rest of the game. And they kind of had that makeup call. And we saw this here, too. Damian Lee embellished the call, flailed his legs out. Toronto challenged it and got it reduced from a three-point shot attempt to... A foul on the floor, but they're in the bonus, so he gets two free throws instead of three. And this is an inherent issue with the coach's challenges. They can really look at anything in that part of the play and nitpick something else, right? Even though Nick Nurse is specifically challenging the call of a three-point shot foul, they can overturn that and then call a different foul at a different point. Like, what's what's even the purpose of this coach's challenge if you're... If the coach if the coach makes the challenge and the refs can look at whatever they really want within that specific play, it's kind of weird to me. But obviously, I'm just salty. <laughs> Damian Lee hits both free throws, and then Siakam has the ball in his hands with what felt like ten seconds while he was dribbling it, because I was just like, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. It felt like he was holding it forever, but it was only four and a half seconds. On the clock, he ends up shooting at the buzzer, rims out, right? That thing is inches from being a game-winning, tough fall-away shot over Andrew Wiggins. And they lose. But there are some positives to take out of this as a Raptors fan. And one of the big things is, when is Fred Van Vliet going to get his respect as an elite defender on guards? He held Steph Curry to a career low, 2 of 16 shooting. And obviously part of this is Nick Nurse's philosophy of doubling the best player 50% of the time in the game. And as a result, Steph Curry was never able to get comfortable and his gravity led to other buckets. Like there's one play where he's curling off a screen and Andrew Wiggins cuts and three people are on Curry out on the perimeter basically and... Andrew Wiggins is just open for a dunk. And this is just the kind of gravity that he has on the game. And and yes, like 2 of 16 showcases that, hey, Van Vliet's a great defender, an elite on-ball defender, but, you know, there's more to the story than that. Steph Curry led to other opportunities for his players, facilitated. Another big takeaway is the small ball works against 80% of the teams in the NBA. For Toronto, And this is really the only lineup they can run with. When you look at their current roster, Aaron Baines and Alex Len just aren't really going to cut it for them, especially in crunch time. Chris Boucher deserves 30-plus minutes a game because he's their best center, and you got to play the best players despite the matchup. I think there are certain exceptions to this rule that I literally just said. 
like playing against Joel Embiid or playing against Nikola Jokic, you need a big body down there who can help defend a guy like that. Personally, I don't trust Chris Boucher in that situation. And as a result, you got to have a guy like Baines ready. And, you know, he can be a good secondary big man for your team. Like, there's no reason he can't be a really solid second guy, not your starter. I think if Toronto rolls with the small ball more often and puts Baines in in certain matchups, I think that's the perfect formula to maximizing your wins and being the best team with your currently constructed roster. Now let's talk about Raptors versus Portland. Siakam came out the gate real hot in that first quarter. He had 12, 7, and 5 assists in that first quarter alone. And he obviously ends up having his first career triple-double, which is amazing for him. One of his best games of the season so far. He was proving that, hey, I can facilitate the ball. That's part of my game now. I can get 10 assists, no problem. And he had, I don't know how many assists, but I think he had only 10 actually. But 13 boards, 23 points, well-rounded game. Uh, Another thing that I want to take away early on in the game was Stanley Johnson had two passes that were just the worst turnovers I've ever seen in my life. He just swung a pass to nobody in the corner, and then he basically like threw a granny pass um, that got that just went straight out of bounds. So Stanley Johnson, like I like him sometimes. He's athletic. He has potential, but you know he's had potential since he was drafted. He, I don't think he's ever going to become that guy. As I think he was a number two overall draft pick. Don't quote me on that. Someone fact check that. But Stanley Johnson, just a couple of bad plays. Nick Nurse, like he's decent sometimes, but it's just not working sometimes. I don't think he's one of your seven or eight best players. I'd rather see Matt Thomas out there. I'd rather see Terrence Davis out there. I'd literally rather see a lot of other players, even like Paul Watson. So to me, I just wouldn't like to not see him as much, but you know. It's enough shit talking for Stanley Johnson. He doesn't deserve it. Chris Boucher had a career-high five threes in this game. He was shooting lights out in his wacky form. You know, it just doesn't look nice, but when he shoots it, it's smooth, and it goes in a lot of the time. And like I said, three threes in the first half, five in the game, and he really played a really really solid game 20 points eight boards three blocks he's proving why small ball is going to work for this team and why he won mvp and defensive player of the year in the g league he was a seriously talented player he is a seriously talented player and happy birthday to him by the way 28 years old he had a great game on his birthday he crushed it absolutely amazing one issue i saw is offensive rebounding Cantor and nurkic who only played nine minutes apparently had an injury Seemed to dominate inside. And luckily, Nurkic was injured, but not like in a good way, you know. But for Toronto specifically in this game, it was beneficial for them because they didn't really have that interior guy playing well. Whenever Alex Len was out, Toronto was just getting taken advantage of in that pick and roll. And, you know, Alex Len didn't attack offensive rebounds. His role was literally to give Boucher time to sit on the bench and rest. And we saw Toronto get roasted in that pick and roll by Dame Lillard and CJ. We saw Lillard attack the rim without any resistance from Alex Len. And as a result, they went on a 20-8 run to end the half and cut into Toronto's lead significantly. They had a double-digit lead that got completely evaporated and was, I think, a five-point game going into the half. Toronto needs another big who can contribute, like I said. 
I'd like to see Baines as a reliable second option. I think Lowry, Boucher, and Siakam all balled out. They played really, really good today in general. Lowry was aggressive from the start. He had a couple threes early, 11 points real early. And then in the third quarter, we saw that OG 8-0 run. That was amazing. I really like what I saw. He had two threes, smooth as heck. Had a steal and a dunk. He just looks great for moments, and then he's cold other times. Still showing inconsistencies, but as a young player, that's just kind of the growing pains that comes with a guy like OG. And I like the way the Raptors play defense today. They're getting out in transition, leading to easy buckets on the fast break. And that's honestly the recipe to success, as we know. Of course, down the stretch, we can talk about what happened. CJ McCollum hits a beautiful jumper. Smooth like butter. Just a pure swish. And honestly, like, I had a feeling the game was over at that point. But you give the ball to Siakam again. Takes a couple dribbles. Kind of looks like he's lost. Puts up a tough shot. Siakam in the clutch hasn't been good this season, right? The two biggest shots of the season for him, he's missed both. I mean, the first one looked a lot better than this one. This is a lot sloppier, but as a Raptors fan, you've just got to realize that this is part of the growing pains of having a guy like Siakam take over the reins. He's still young and has to learn to take these shots and become confident, comfortable, and poised in this position because as your best player... That's what he's responsible to do. He's got to close out games for you. He doesn't necessarily have to take the best, the right shot, but he's got to make the right play. And sometimes making the right play is taking a tough fadeaway. Sometimes the right play is a pass. And I think Siakam's learning on the fly how to do these things for Toronto. Especially now that he's retooling his game. You know, he's added the pass, the assisting, the facilitating factor. He's added a better mid-range, the three-pointer. And he's become a little more comfortable off the dribble too, which is nice to see. So I think that all of these components put together is going to lead him to success at some point. But as a Raptors fan, you just got to be patient that this is the best thing for Toronto is him missing these shots and going through the struggle now because you'd rather see this now than in the playoffs. And this experience will be really valuable for him when the playoffs actually do start and we're like, hey, Siakam, hit this bucket for us. We're not going to see those same shots. We're going to see something a lot different in the playoffs. So it's good that he goes through these struggles now. Let's keep this one short. I like a nice short pod. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate the love. Give me a five-star review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Why not? Follow us on IG at Raptors Community. And just keep up with the page. I appreciate you guys as always. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you on the next one.